Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm Jeffy the Greek, joined on Wednesdays by... This is Dustin Schutte. Dustin, you're on Twitter. What's the handle? My Twitter handle is at Schutte Dustin. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. Uh, week nine, week nine preview. By the way, I've got a little bit of a theory here I want to run by you. It it does not seem like it should be as late in the season as it is. I think it's because, and I know we're in different regions of the country, but I think it's because the weather has stayed so warm that it still feels like it's mid to early October, heck, even late September. So it feels like it's still earlier in the season, even though it's obviously not. Yeah, here it's just miserably hot all the freaking time. Um, so it's there's never really that football weather until maybe you get to like maybe January and February. It starts to cool down a little bit. So um, I do miss that fall weather. Even in even in Kennesaw, Georgia, where I was living, we would get it about mid October and on, and it felt like football weather. But I totally get what you mean, man. It's doesn't feel like football season down here. I mean, it feels great up here. I am not, by the way, that was not me complaining at all, having, you know, 50 degree days late October. I mean, we're almost at Halloween here. Uh, people in Minnesota will talk about the Halloween snowstorm of, I don't know what it was. I think it was like 1990 or something like that, where they got like 50 inches of snow or something like that. So I'll definitely take that, take this over that anytime. Uh, what announcement we we want to make because of scheduling situations. Uh, DS and I are recording this on Tuesday evening. Uh, by the time I will be able to produce it and, and release it, it will it'll be the regular time on on Wednesday evening. So, with that being said, DS and I are both aware uh, that by the time you listen to this podcast, you will the the 2023 football schedules will be released. We're we're aware they're going to be released tomorrow, uh, but we won't be able to discuss them right now because obviously we we don't have access to that as we're recording the podcast. With that being said. It is announced that we will have the divisions, the East and West divisions, for one more year. You got any comment on that, DS? I mean, overall, even if USC and UCLA come in, I don't know what the plan is. I I want them to keep divisions. I don't know if I'm alone in this. I know people don't want to see it or they might want to see pods or whatever it is. I like divisions. I know it gets a lot of complaints, but you can still have the same format. You can have eight teams in, in, each, in each division play seven games against the division, then you're playing just two crossover games. Suddenly those crossover games aren't – they don't play quite as much of a role into who pl- who plays in the Big Ten championship game. I don't know that that's going to happen, but those that's just my two cents. I'm not as outraged by the, 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 the alignment of the divisions as everybody else has seemed to be for the past, I don't know, four or five years. Yeah, you're in the minority with that. Um and I have done somewhat of an about face on that. I was very much believing that we should keep the divisions. It's not that I disagree with what you just said. In fact, all the things you pointed out, I agree with. I'm just so tired of the Big Ten West national True. slander and even getting it from certain fans on the other side. I'm ready for it to not be there. 
anymore. Uh, with that being said, if they do wind up going in some pod system, we'll, we'll see. But they're obviously going to do something to protect rivalries and thing like things like that. Anyways, we're not going to find any of that out when they release this on Wednesday tomorrow. This is pretty much going to be. I mean, uh, USC and UCLA aren't joining for another year after that. So this is just basically going to see what the schedule is going to look like specifically for next year. So a lot of people are going to be, a lot of people are going to find it interesting. And of course people will get upset because that's what yes. happens when any type of announcement is made. I, I, I can't wait until we hear about how they're trying to protect Ohio state <laughs> because Ohio state cannot in fact play itself. <laughs> that's an excellent point. I think I would think Ohio state fans would get a chuckle. Out of that, okay. Well, that brings us to our our maybe not every week, but most week new new uh, segment here called instead of calling it grinds my gears, we of course call it bothers my big. So the bothers my big this week, pretty fresh last night on Twitter. Um, I didn't wake up and choose violence yesterday, uh, but Bud Elliott uh, with the Cover Three podcast and. Um, I think he writes for CBS Sports, too. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, But he made a comment, something to the effect of that there's no good college football games on. He was either talking about this weekend or or next weekend. I'll be honest with you. I'm getting confused now. I I made a comment back to him, something to the effect of, man, every single weekend is a good college football weekend. You know, what are you talking about? I don't know. Long story short, like I don't think Bud Elliott is a bad human being. I'm sure if you met the person, met him in person, of course, I, I I never have that he would be a, a overall pleasant person and and not evil at all. It's just that when you cover the sport for a living, it, it just seems amazing how often the guys that do seem to complain about you know the overall matchups in that unless it's like a a top 10 type of matchup. It's, it's boring to them. I don't know. That's just not how I roll Diaz. Yeah, I don't either. And so I'm going to talk, I'm going to, I'm going to steal your saying here. I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth because I feel like I can add a little bit of, of knowledge to the other side. When you do cover college football, and that's specifically what it is. You would, I admit that when you're watching it 365, essentially 24 seven, maybe on a Thursday night, the thing you don't want to do is watch, Tulsa play UTEP or something along those lines. What I tried to do though, was not voice that on Twitter to give the perception that I hate college football, because it's not that you don't like college football. It's just like, it's when you watch it constantly, you want to break to do something else. Right? So it's like eating pizza. If you eat pizza, I could, I love pizza. You could eat pizza 20 straight days. By that 21st day, you're going to want something different. So I understand why maybe a, a specific game here or there is not interesting. Having said that, I find a lot of intrigue in a lot of different games every single week. Uh, just like you said, there's something interesting. There's a certain matchup. We're still in – I don't think any team has been – eliminated from bowl eligibility at this point. Maybe there's some teams in the group of five level. There are teams competing for college football playoff spots. There are teams, different quarterbacks, Heisman race. Like there's just so much interesting stuff to watch. And by the way, I have said this since maybe about week three or four, it seems like we're in one of those strangest college football seasons since 2007. What could you not love? I feel like any week more so than any other year, 
you could see somebody upset somebody and really change the the landscape of college football. Well put. I mean, that last part right there is one of the things I would say is whenever somebody says there's no good matchups this weekend, which means there's no high rank versus high rank. Yes. Don't we typically see a ton of upsets that weekend? Yes. And it winds up being that weekend out of the of the year where you never saw that upset coming and this and that. So that's one thing I would point out. Yeah. And, and back to what you said about if you're covering the sport for a living, um, I, I guess for me, and I think this is a feeling that a lot of college football fans get, and I don't want to overstate this. I didn't put this on Twitter because Twitter, you know, does not come with sarcastic font. So you say these things on Twitter and then I don't think they come out very well, but essentially it would be like my wife and I are thankfully have moved out of the daycare phase. Okay. But for a while there, we were interviewing daycares. If I heard one of the, you know, head people at the daycare talk about not really liking kids all that much, yes. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want my kids to go to that daycare. And it's not as important, okay? And it's not the same thing. But I think that's what college football fans get when they hear people that write and cover college football complain about it. Um, and then the other thing I would add is, I don't know what this mythical, perfectly aesthetic, st- aesthetically pleasing football game is supposed to be you know because we obviously know if it's a low scoring game the offenses will just get destroyed by the gen xers and gen whatevers that are definitely younger than me but on the other side of it is are are 52 to 49 games i mean are we really playing defense in those games because it it bothers me i went when you know like and i understand that bigger larger parts of the uh, of the college football population probably like the higher scoring i'm just saying like it, it beauty's in the eye of the beholder and, and different people like to see different things out of a game me i want 24 to 21 that that to me is about the perfect game maybe 27 24 something like that i don't know but that 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 perfect mix i i don't know if it exists so why are we trying to chase it so much it's whatever's being played in the sec and i'm not even like trying to be a sarcastic wise ass with that like i just feel like Whatever Nick Saban adopts, like, oh, you got to win championships with defense, then all of a sudden defense is the thing that we're looking for. If he says you got to make changes, you got to have a high-powered offense, then all of a sudden then th- that's that's what we got to look for is these high-powered offenses. Like, I don't – I just feel like there's not enough appreciation for, like, teams being good. And we brought up those stats last week. Uh, like, the last six or seven uh, college football champions have held their opponents to – 15 points or less. And you would think that number would be exponentially higher given the way that they, that we treat offensive powerhouses, right? Like you still have to have a great defense. Why is it? I I don't understand why it's boring football all of a sudden. I'm with you like the 24 to 21. But again, even that I go back to that Illinois, Iowa game. It felt like there were times where there were big plays to be had. You felt like Illinois could could bust open a big play and Illinois just did or Iowa just didn't allow it. Like there's even in a nine to six game, I found myself thoroughly entertained for maybe not the entire 60 minutes, but a good 45 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Um, and I feel like people that we're talking about here uh, would be like nine to six. Poof. Why would you right. want to watch that game? I mean, we definitely know the Iowa offense is, is struggling big time, but the point I would try to make to people is I, I get it, but, those are two good defenses, right? Yes. Like 
Illinois' defense and Iowa's defense is not allowing 52 points to anybody. That's right. I said it to to anybody, and I know Ohio State <laughs> just, just did it, but that was mostly because of Iowa's offense was so bad. But in a typical you know setting where the offense can do something, those defense – point I'm trying to make, if you paired Iowa's defense up with Tennessee's offense – I don't think Iowa's defense has given up that many points is what I'm saying, because they would actually be off the field, which basically uh, all of this kind of filters down into the second uh, bothers my big segment, which is there's just too much focus on the college football playoff. Um, I'll give uh, Braden Gall, who's been on the podcast. I'll give him some credit. He acknowledged in the off season last year that they were focusing too much on the college football playoff and he's trying to do better. At, at paying attention to games and being more intrigued with storylines that don't necessarily lead to the college football playoff. I always have. I don't feel like I am, I've ever changed on that. And, you know, why would, you know, you, you see the question like, why would I want to watch, you know, this, you, you know, Virginia Tech versus uh, NC State? I think that's one of the games that's getting played. Well, if you put money on it, <laughs> that's why I want to yeah. watch it, you know? And right. then I get to learn about, a different team. That's how I look at it. Like it keeps me entertained and teams that I've heard about that. I haven't maybe had a, as much of a chance to watch because I focus so much on the big. I love watching those games on Wednesday, Thursdays and Fridays. Cause I, I get to know other teams in other regions. I don't know. I don't think that makes me a college football nut to, to like games like that, even if they're not quote unquote aesthetically pleasing. Well, I remember, I think it was last year, Dan Wolken put out a like mm. said put out a list of why are you watching these certain games and it was like a, a list of the noon games and it wasn't a very good lineup uh and it was uh, properly so he got ratioed for those comments um but to me like i i love watching i'm gonna make two points here first i love watching college football i love watching sports because you never know what's gonna happen like i don't understand why you it has to be great to see something historic um i like it was several years ago. Nebraska fans are not going to like this, but was it was Melvin Gordon, I think, who rushed for like 400 yards, right, against Nebraska's defense. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I feel like in today's college football media, they would be like, why are you going to watch that Wisconsin-Nebraska game? Wisconsin's going to win by 40 points. Well, I'm just using this as an example. I apologize, right. Nebraska people. Please don't blow up my Twitter that I just got it back. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff you can <laughs> – that's the kind of stuff you can see when you watch those games. Like, it doesn't always have to be about – Eight no versus eight no. X team X might have a great running back. Team Y might have a great quarterback. Like I feel like we get lost in that. And the thing that aggravates me is down here in Gainesville, there's one specific writer who I swear to God every week, uh, last or uh, two weeks ago it was Michigan Penn State, and he was on the radio and he said, eh, "Is Michigan Penn State really that big of a game? It, whoever loses, it's out of the college football playoff race." And he makes similar arguments like that every single week. I'm like, first of all, not necessarily. Second of all, then he goes on to talk about how, well, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, all those teams could have two losses and still still sneak in. And it just it just adds to the narrative that the SEC gets gets this extra extra cushion. The football's so much better down here. And I guess. Th- the SEC being tied into the college football playoff is probably what aggravates me more than anything else because I don't care what people watch. It's just, um, I mean, I'm already fired up for next Tuesday when they release the rankings for the first time. Oh man, that's Tuesday. I didn't even know. Well, that's coming quick too. That, that's another thing that's stuck out. Yeah, we'll 
we'll move on now. But, you know, basically, you never know what an amazing college game could break out, you know, where where between two teams that you didn't expect it from. That's one thing. And the other thing, the last thing I would say is that Twitter thread turned into somehow, you know, oh, okay, if I don't watch. 18 continuous hours of college football every single Saturday. I'm not a college football fan. No, that's that's not what I'm saying. Here, here's what I am saying, though. And, and this is just my own statement. I know this isn't for you, but I, I swear I'm very happy that I'm I'm married and have kids, right? But kids take your they take your schedule yeah. away. That's just that's how they do it. I mean, I I love my kids more than college football. And um with that being said, I I because of that, I don't hunt, I don't fish. I I hardly golf. Hell, I'm too old to do half the really fun shit I used to do when I was younger anyways. But like, basically, my wife and I have come to a pretty decent agreement where, you know, fall Saturdays are my thing, you know. Now, with that being said, if there's something very important that happens, that's just that's them. Them's the breaks. But for me, that's how I've prioritized it. This is my thing. This is my hobby. I don't think it makes me a bad person. It also doesn't make somebody a bad person if they have things to do. I I, I get it. But for me, I just don't want the people that are covering the sport to sound like they're complaining about covering the sport. I, I don't think that's asking too much, but anyways. All right. So that brings the well, second, the second installment of, of bothers my big to a close. Yeah. I just wanted to say, I just wanted to point out though, that if you ever do want to get out fishing, I think big Kurt's got an extra spot in his boat. So he can get, he can, he can show you the ropes. He can angle that line. You'll be set and ready to go. Hey, you need a new, you need a, I got an extra pair of hip waders for you, buddy. Do you need some when you get out there? We're going to do some pretty aggressive fishing. <laughs> All right, here we go. Moving into the games. We have got 10 teams in action, five games. That means four teams are idle. Indiana, Maryland, Purdue, and Wisconsin, and DS. That's it, buddy. That is it for idle weeks for the rest of the year. All right, how they got the games breakdown. Pretty interesting. Again, they got one early. One kind of early, two in the afternoon, and one in the evening. Again, I think uh, the TV powers that be are doing a better and better job of breaking these games up. All of these games take place on Saturday, October 29th. First game up, I think this is the first time we've did this since we are skipping the early game and leaving it till the end. Our first game is actually at 1.30 p.m. in the afternoon. It would be 2.30 p.m. for you. The four and three Rutgers Scarlet Knights at the four and three Minnesota Gophers, this is a 1.30 p.m. game, as I said, on BTN line. Gophers by 14 and a hook over under 41. So Vegas is saying something like 28 to 14 Gophers. DS, what you looking at here? Well, I mean, you've got Rutgers coming off of first they had that bye, then they get that big win against Indiana. Um they looked good, I thought, on, on both sides of the ball, outside of those first early drives, especially their defense. You've been saying it all season long. Like I, I don't think Rutgers gets enough credit for what they're doing defensively. I think offense, which it was interesting, I don't think they're off – I still don't think their offense is explosive. But if there was a game plan to beat Indiana, I thought that they had to hit the big play. They did everything opposite. They were able to nickel and dime Indiana down the field outside of, like I think, a, a 40-yard Aaron Crookshake run. Um, so it's going to be, this is still a really good Minnesota team. They battled some injuries. They've fallen on some, some hard times here recently. They didn't play well in that second half against Penn state. Uh, I just want to see, we had this theme a few weeks ago, but I want to see what Minnesota looks like now that they've lost three straight games. 
it feels like the oars might be a little bit out of the water for the Golden Gophers. I don't think this is a quote-unquote get-right game, but I think that they're finally playing an opponent that they they match up a lot better with. And I think that I don't. I, I always feel like PJ's able to get things corrected at some point in the season, and even when they're not looking good, I feel like this could be that game for them. Still got some questions about quarterback. Their passing game, their pass catchers, it's just not there. They're going to have to rely heavily on the run game. This is going to be – I think this is going to be a really good smash-mouth football game, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think Minnesota fans are looking at this as a get-right game. I think they no. are looking at this as a get-a-win game in in any way that they can. Uh, it I I don't have it confirmed because because PJ never confirms anything with a, with the, on the injury front. But it looks like quarterback Ethan Kaliagmanis, aka aka 08, is going to be the starter. Um, he showed me some stuff versus Penn State. You can see the physical tools. Tough spot for him to be in. You know, for the first start, if he gets the start, which there's a lot of debate with Gopher fans with that. I I get it. Nothing is more fun and, and aggravating at the same time to debate amongst a fan base than, than the quarterback. I I find myself leaning towards Calic Manis for this type of game, um, get him some more reps. Uh, with that being said, if Tanner Morgan rolls out there, it wouldn't be surprising. One thing I would do want to point out, Mo Ibrahim last week tied the Big Ten record for with 15 straight 100-yard games so he can get sole possession of that record himself by having his 16th straight 100-yard rushing attack. Another shout-out to Bud, Bud Elliott, who said that he didn't think uh, Mo Ibrahim was a Sunday <laughs> running back. I can assure you that he is. By the way, I think he gets it. With that being said, I, I think it's going to be on the struggle bus to get that 100 yards. Why? Because this is a good Rutgers defense. There is just a suddenly shocking little amount to stress defensive coordinators out with this Minnesota passing attack, which means you're going to get an extra guy into the box uh, uh, very often. Um, Vedra will look a little bit better this week, but not great versus this Minnesota defense. I see a low-scoring game. It's it's hard for me to think that this is going to be a, a points explosion at the bank here on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, one other thing I wanted to ask uh, – I saw a lot of criticism about the game plan with Kelly McManus and him not throwing the football and just kind of either using his legs or, you know, running Mo or whatever they, whatever they were doing. I, I liked it. Did, but it, it seemed like on Twitter fans did not like it. People watching that game were like, why is this kid not throwing it in the whiteout atmosphere on the road against a really good Penn state team? I thought that was a really good strategy. And I think they'll probably try to throw it a little bit more against Rutgers, but overall I, I approved of that that game plan. Yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I think it's pretty obvious what PJ and and Shiraka were trying to do, uh, which was they trusted their defense enough yeah. to keep it close. But once the point explosion happened with Penn State in the second half, at that point they did try to open it up and get some points on the board. I don't think they were expecting that, but I agree with you. I don't think it was as bad of a of a game plan overall game plan as it seemed to be. It just you know, fans get upset when you lose by three, four touchdowns. That's that's just how the reaction goes. I'll go ahead and jump in with my prediction. So kind of already, you know, alluded to it a little bit. Points will be at a premium here. Seems like it could be a, a game that turns on a special teams play, a turnover, 
I could see something like a one to nothing turnover margin being a, a big difference in this game. Either way, I, I still trust Minnesota enough at home. And PJ, as you brought up, is a good point. I think he's been in these spots enough, but it's going to be tight because I'm going to tell you something. Yes. Shiano sees that he has got a bowl game within his grasp. And if he wants to get that, which I know he does, I think he has to get this game. So this is going to be a dialed in Rutgers uh, team. I've got Minnesota 20. Rutgers 13, so that is a pretty easy Rutgers cover, and at 33 points, I also like the under. Uh, we were very close. I have Minnesota 23, Rutgers 13, so that is also a Rutgers cover and an under. Hey, we're seeing the same thing. I would yeah. be surprised if there was some sort of point explosion in this game. Next game up, this was our second vote-getter in the game of the week. Pretty jazzed for this game, I got to say. The number 17th-ranked Six and one Illinois fighting Illini going into Lincoln to take on the three and four Nebraska Cornhuskers. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on ABC. How about that? Illini Garner in an ABC time slot. Line Illinois and Nebraska. Don't get me wrong. Illinois favored by seven and a hook over under 50.5. So Vegas is saying something like a 28 to 20 game. Both of these teams are coming off an idle week. Illinois going for its third win in a row in this series. What you looking for, DS? By the way, this is what I'm looking for. Does Illinois sacrifice this game in order to get to the Big Ten West <laughs> Championship game? Because Purdue lost last week to Wisconsin after beating Nebraska. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, the Nebraska hex is going both ways now. Even if you lose to them, you're losing games too. So oh, it's, that's a good point. It, it, the manure <laughs> is spread and all because Purdue got beat. Purdue. Well, that's not right. Purdue beat them, and then they got beat by Wisconsin. Yep. So I guess that's back in tune. But yeah, no, it's that's fun to track. Um, I guess the first thing I'm looking at here is so we got we got bad news on the injury front. Um, uh, Nick Heinrich is is out for the year. Um, Luke Reimer is back, but the linebacking crew and the overall front seven that we're seeing out of Nebraska. I don't know, man. That's that's a that's a tough yeah. matchup for this Chase Brown led rushing attack. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, this is Illinois has such a perfect balance with Chase Brown, Tommy DeVito, able to 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 do enough to move the ball and keep defenses honest. Like I was thinking about this game, and I'm like, I don't know. You know, I was thinking more along the lines of an Illinois defense and how they like to. Uh, they can get Nebraska off the field, I think. And then I thought their offense, they're going to possess the ball. And then I thought. But they still got Chase Brown and Tommy DeVito, and they're going to be able. I think they're going to be able to score some points against this Nebraska defense. I honestly don't know how Nebraska's. We saw Purdue run for. I don't remember what the total was. It was over 200 yards. Dear God, Chase Brown could have a career day, and if he could be legitimately in the Heisman conversation, which I've been begging for after this game because I think he's he can put up some big numbers the depletions on Nebraska's linebacker core I think that Illinois with their with their receiving unit I think with Tommy DeVito back there they're going to be able to open things up keep Nebraska on their heels enough I, I mean I think Nebraska's offense is going to be able to hit some big plays I think Trey Palmer and Casey Washington have a really good chemistry there I don't think it's going to be <laughs> I don't think it's going to be quite as frequent or, or quite as successful as it was in that Purdue game they'll hit some big plays 
I just don't think it's going to be consistent enough. And I think Illinois' offense is just going to continue to wear down Nebraska's off or defense, keep the offense sidelined. I, this is the first time I don't think Nebraska really has much of a shot just because of the Illinois style of play. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to articulate this well, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't think Illinois is just like, you know, like a, there's a gulf of talent between these two teams, but as they're set up and how they match up playing each other, yes. that's where there is a big gap in my mind on how these two teams match up. So for me, um, I think I think Nebraska before the ball is even you know kicked off. They are in a conundrum on what they want to do because I, I I don't think they have a choice. I think they have to load the box to be able to stop Chase Brown. And by the way, sounds like Josh McCray finally is back, so we could have a one-two punch back at running back. Which is by the way, you know how Beetle likes to do things. That's not great yeah. news for Nebraska. So if they do that, which I think they have to it's not like the secondary and safeties have been excellent for Nebraska this year either. I mean, we just saw that, you know, two weeks ago with Purdue. So it, that is a tough, that is just a, it's a tough ask uh, for this newly led Bill Bush defense. And have you looked at the differential and points and yards for the, I know this isn't the end all be all, but between these two defenses, Nebraska's allowing 471 yards per game. Illinois is allowing 221 yards per game. <laughs> Illinois is. is allowing 8.9 points per game. Nebraska is allowing 31.3 points per game. And some of that is on who they played, you know, like right. the, the matchup. So I would definitely understand that, but I don't, I don't, I don't need to look at the strength of schedule to understand who's got the better defense. It's obviously Illinois, which then mixes over or, or switches over to the best matchup in the entire game is, you know, at the broad term, Nebraska's offense versus Illinois' defense, but we we have got one of the best wide receivers in Trey Palmer for Illinois going against Devon Witherspoon. I talked to Kurt briefly. He just saw a couple mocks that have Devon Witherspoon going in the top 15 in the NFL Ooh. draft. So let's just assume for a second Devon Witherspoon goes 18th, okay, in the NFL draft. I think the 18th, you know, pick in the NFL draft. I would think they're going to put him on Trey Palmer. Yeah, you know, and both defensive backs are pretty good. Long story short, is there's reason to believe Trey Palmer will not go off like he did versus Purdue and a couple of their their other opponents. Why? Because Illinois has got a great defense. Also, because they, I myself and any Illinois fan, I think would want to see what this Nebraska offense looks like if you take Trey Palmer out of the game or limit him as much as possible. One thing I'm looking at, this is just because I'm nerdy. I feel like Trey Palmer has scored on a post route on the first <laughs> possession out of halftime in each of the last three games. So I'm interested to see if they run that out of the break. Like it's, it's, I swear it's been the same play the last three. I don't know if it's three, but it's at least the last two. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's been the last three. I'm interested to see if that, if that, trend continues to or if, if beetle uh sniffs that one out yeah um i trust walters i'll tell you that much I do um, too. And, and now the one thing i would say is this before i get to the prediction is my general feeling is a bad matchup for nebraska but i still have this sense of both teams coming off an idle week um maybe maybe old man whipple it you know just pulls because <laughs> 
I, I, I have a hard time believing they're going to consistent. Nebraska is going to consistently run the ball on Illinois. It's just, it's just hard for me to believe that that's going to be the case. I'm not saying zero success. I'm just saying enough to win the game. So if there's big plays and offense in this game, you know, where Nebraska goes over the 400 yard mark, it's going to have to come in the throw game for Nebraska. Yeah. If Nebraska can throw the ball, we have a good game, but that's kind of what I'm I'm looking at here is just one of those college football games where you're like, holy shit, Nebraska is throwing the ball on Illinois. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what it's going to take to make this a, I don't know, a, a, a Nebraska victory. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think even just to keep it close, that's what they're going to have to do. But I think Illinois is getting healthy. I think, I, I think Nebraska will have some available yards, get some points, uh, but ultimately, I have Illinois 33, Nebraska 20. So that's an Illinois cover. And at 53, that's an over. Okay, so we're similar. Um, I'm just a, a step down in the overall scoring. I've got Illinois 27, Nebraska 17. So at 44 points, that's under the game total. And I, I like Illinois to cover the uh, 7.5 quite a bit. But as I looked a little bit deeper... Maybe not quite as much as I used to. All right, stick it in the afternoon. The Sickos Committee, wake up, everybody. The <laughs> one and six Northwestern Wildcats at the three and four Iowa Hawkeyes. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on ESPN2. Oh, is that Beth Mullins? I didn't even think about that till now. Line Hawks by 11 over under 37 and a half. So Vegas is expecting a points explosion from the Hawkeyes saying that I was going to win 24 to 13. So let the Halloween jokes go about the scariest thing on your TV. That, that joke's going to be available all day long. Fitz maybe had the best joke of the week where he said that he uh, asked the big 10 to schedule this game at six o'clock <laughs> in the morning, which I had to confirm if he actually said that. And it sounds like he did. What you looking for here, DS? Ah, the Iowa offense and the Northwestern defense. The uh, the movable object and the stoppable force. Yeah. That should be should be exciting. Um, I, I think the big thing, and this is, does Iowa, what's Iowa do at quarterback? That might be the lame answer. Is it going to be Petrus? Is it going to be Padilla? Are they going to rotate? I don't know what they're going to do there, but that's got to get figured out. Um Northwestern actually played pretty well, not defensively, but their offense did some things against Maryland. Obviously, the Terps didn't have Talia Tungavailoa. I think that played a little bit into what happened in that game. I just, I mean, I this is this is the most intriguing match, maybe not the most intriguing matchup, but it's interesting to me because I have no idea what to expect. Yeah. Like I feel like let me if this makes sense. I feel like when we talk about Iowa and we talk about Northwestern, we avoid talking about the offense for the Hawkeyes and the defense for the Wildcats. So that's going to be the biggest aspect of this game. I think ultimately, though, Iowa's defense is so much better than Northwestern's offense. They're going to be able to create turnovers. They're going to be able to get great field position. Special teams is going to play a huge factor in this game. I just don't see where Northwestern is going to be able to get points on this defense. I just, I, I don't, I don't think that offense is, is, I don't think that offense is good. I don't think the defense, like I talked about last week, if Iowa can move the ball enough to get, give their defense four or five minutes of rest, I think in this game, they can do that. Yeah. And I think that's what the spread is looking at, right? They, they are 
expecting Iowa to do something on offense. And if that, if that, if I had to guess at that something, it's that the rushing attack, I'm not saying explodes, but just has success, you know? And that's all it takes is if that rushing attack is having some success, they will have maybe not extended drives, but drives that are taking enough time off the clock which then puts the rested Hawkeye defense out onto the field more often. Like, I think there's a pretty good chance that this game will be over pretty quick for some people. Thank God, you know, that it will be. Uh, but that's that's what I think you're seeing with both the spread and the over-under. By the way, there was rumors that the over-under was starting at 31. That must have been all smoke smoke and mirrors or something like that because we're not even close to that at 37 and a half. Um, as far as the Iowa quarterback situation, it was confirmed today that Peterson Padilla – are are listed or on the depth chart. And then one of the Iowa offensive players said that they're actually splitting reps in practice all week long. So n- no, no um, announcement's going to be made. I mean, we'll all find out at the same time when Iowa takes the, the field at, 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 um, um, on offense for the first time for Northwestern's offense. Um, I think it was a pretty strong nod that Sullivan will be the quarterback moving forward for Northwestern. We kind of alluded to it. I mean, tough for me to see Northwestern getting to Indy, right? By the way, sicko committee, yeah. I know that it's still chance <laughs> that that Northwestern could win in like a seven-way tie or whatever it was, and they would go to Indy. But I don't think that's going to happen. They still have got Ohio State on the schedule here. So I think it's going to be Sullen moving forward as they start to build towards next year. Um Tough spot for a pretty rookie new quarterback to get put into uh, going against this Iowa defense with an offense that outside of Evan Hole and maybe Washington at wide receiver, pretty limited for ways that you can you can touch up a defense this good. I mean, I feel like at this point, Fitz is pretty much I don't want to say he's he's throwing his towel in on the rest of the season, but I think he understands that this is not a good football team. We've got to try to find some th- things that are going to work for moving forward. Um, and look, it's tough for the, against the Iowa defense, but I feel like this is considering how poorly the Iowa offense has played. This is a pretty good opponent. If you're going to take some gambles, take some chances, you might as well do it here, and you pretty much got nothing to lose. They're what? What? They're one and uh, one and one and six yep. on the season. So, I mean, I I don't know. This is this is kind of the game that I don't think Northwestern is talented enough to beat Iowa, but, but it's also the game that's just scary enough in which like you don't know Northwestern's going to play. I think loose. I think they found a little bit of something last week against Maryland. Maybe they come in with some confidence. I don't know. It's just one of those games where I think Iowa's going to win it, but it's one of those games that it just it's going to fit the Halloween theme. It's going to be very scary for Hawkeye fans for maybe maybe 50 55 minutes. That's just the feel I get. Go ahead. I've got so I I'm, I took the coward's way out on this because I saw that uh I saw 31 points and it, immediately the score popped into my head. So I have <laughs> Iowa 21 Northwestern 10. So that is uh, an Iowa push. I'll only take credit if the score is dead on. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, at 31, that is a, a very comfortable under. And the 31, the under, is my Amador double barrel lock of the week. All right. Uh, pretty similar that we got here. Uh, by the way, yeah, talking about um, uh, Northwestern, you know, this being a scary game or – a scary game for Iowa with Northwestern coming in. It makes sense. Uh, they've won three in a row 
in Kinnick Stadium. This would be their fourth win in a row. Not a big trends guy, but that's definitely something. I mean, it's not like Fitzy doesn't he is going to get his troops ready to go yeah. with something along the lines of we can win this game, you know, so this yeah. is going to come in and be a battle. Obviously, if Iowa had something that was even a semblance of an average offense, I would predict Iowa to win this, you know, game going away, but that's not what we have. I need to see the semblance of an offense out of Iowa. So I've got Iowa 16, Northwestern 13, so that is a Northwestern cover at 29 points. That is quite a bit under the 37 and a half. And with Northwestern covering, that is my Amador double barrel lock of the week. So we both had the Amador double barrel in this game, just two different things. By the way, your Northwestern factoid, mate, I almost forgot. Last 10 games, five and five. Another factoid there. Another factoid there. Uh, last thing I'm going to say about this is what I put. This is this is a this is a public disclaimer. When I put my scores out on Friday at noon is usually when I do it on Twitter with my predictions. If you are listening to this and you respond with the comment of how is Iowa going to get to 16 points, I'm blocking you. I'm just tired of it. I don't care. Life is too short. I'm getting the same joke every single week. Folks, it's it's time to move on. Anyways. All right. The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel agent technique creates unique characteristics in each barrel that produce one-of-a-kind whiskeys. Amador is made to be sipped neat or is perfect for classic bourbon cocktails. Just like your favorite go-to Big Ten football podcast, Amador is the go-to whiskey this football season. Don't forget to hashtag Ask for Amador and check out our new website and finder options so you can see where to find Amador at www.amadorwhiskey.co. Com. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, raised in California. I think I was joking with that bold block statement. I don't know. I, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm joking or not. I guess I'll see how I'm feeling Friday afternoon. All right, next game up. We're moving all the way into the evening. The battle for the Paul Bunyan Trophy. The three and four Michigan State Spartans at the seven and zero third ranked Michigan, or is it fourth ranked? I'm excuse me, Michigan Wolverines. This is a six thirty p.m. game on ABC. Line Wolverines by twenty two and a half over under fifty four point five. So Vegas is saying something like a thirty eight to seventeen Michigan victory. Well, Mel famously two and zero versus khaki pants. Um, first thing I would say is. We all saw Michigan State, you know, kind of get run over by Ohio State. I do think this is a little bit better matchup for Sparty going against Michigan yes. than Sparty going against Ohio State because Sparty is just so porous on the back seven, whereas Michigan obviously is trying to hit you up front. I don't know. That's one of the things you can look at for the intrigue for this game, other than the fact that it's a bitter, bitter, bitter rivalry. Yeah, and you don't like trends, and I, I probably like them, I'm going to say way more than you do. But in this game, I don't look at the Mel, Mel Tucker factor because I, I and going into this game, I thought, you know, Mel's 2-0 and against Jim Harbaugh. He's kind of got his number a little bit. And then I thought about it, and those first two teams, they were very similar in talent, in coach. I, I just think these two teams are very different. That's not to say Michigan State, if things go right, they can't win. I just don't 
I would have to see it out of maybe a four or five game sample size as opposed to just the last two years when they've been very similar in terms of teams. I agree with you where I thought you were going to go with it is 2020 happened during COVID. I don't know what was going on with Michigan yeah. that year, but it was a mess all year last year. I don't know how Michigan State won that game. You know I mean? No. And like number one, just how they pulled it out. And if Michigan state fans are listening, they're screaming and they're saying we won because of Kenneth Walker, which I mean, you look at what that dude's doing for Seattle right now. It makes sense. But, but, that is how they pulled it off. There's no Kenneth Walker on the field this year, whereas Michigan is pretty similar to the Michigan team they were last year, where on the other side, Michigan State, not yeah. not up to the level that they were last year without Kenneth Walker. And I, I, I'm glad you said this about Michigan being a better matchup for – or Michigan State being a – Michigan being a better matchup for Michigan State because you look – Michigan did have trouble with Indiana through three and a half quarters because Indiana's defense run defense was pretty solid. Michigan did have some troubles separating from Maryland. I think that can be a factor in this game. I just think that Michigan state's secondary <laughs> is so bad that when they are, when, when Blake Corm's not carving up some run plays, when they run into a bit of a standstill, I believe that they can hit some plays down the field with Roman Wilson, with Eric all uh, with Ronnie Bell. Some of those other guys they have at the receiver position. I think that the athletes on, on the outside at Michigan are just far superior to what they have in, in East Lansing right now. So I give the edge to, to Michigan, but there's almost a stubbornness there where Jim Harbaugh says, this is our bread and butter. We're going to run it 40 times. And if we're only up 17 to 10, through three quarters, then we're only up 17 to 10. So that's going to be very interesting to me how he approaches. Does he make some changes? Because to me, if Mich Michigan could blow this thing out of the water in the first half, if they throw the ball all over, all over the yard. That there you go. Um, that is, you know, when you, when you look at any game, that team's offense versus the defense, vice versa to start with this one, it could be as simple as Michigan runs the ball down Michigan state's throat. That's it. I mean, I, I'm sorry, yeah. but if that happens, we just don't have a football contest here. And I think there's a pretty good chance <laughs> that that's the case, right? It's just that even with Michigan State being on the road, it just sure seems like in rivalry games like this, front sevens find a way to bring the thunder a little yeah. bit more than they do in a, in a non-rivalry you know, type, type of big game. So I guess I'm expecting Michigan State's front seven to bow up and look a little bit better, and they have been. They have looked a little bit better. Like, they looked a little bit better versus Wisconsin last time we saw them out there. If that happens, that's the intriguing part to me, is will J.J. McCarthy look better? I mean, I, I don't think we've got to the point yet where J.J. McCarthy's had to, quote-unquote, win the game, you know, and I don't think I'll see that necessarily in this game on Saturday night, but you know what I'm getting at? Just can yeah. they put him in, in, in a little bit of conflict in that game, in this game on the other side? Um, I think Michigan state has got enough offensively to put some points on the board ver versus Michigan. Okay. Like they've got enough talent on the outside to just touch them up a little bit. I, 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 there are, there's talent in the Michigan secondary, but I'm, I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not overwhelmed by each level of, of the Michigan defense, but yet it's a good Michigan defense. Okay. Don't, don't get me wrong. I guess what I'm saying is 
it's not such a dominant defense that there's no plays available. So I do think Sparty is is going to get enough points on the board to keep this interesting for a while. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in that. I think I think I agree with your overall point. I just you to me you have to be able to do something on the ground and I don't know that Michigan State's going to be able to do that because in games at certain times this season their run game has been atrocious. And against Michigan's defense, I just don't know it, to me if they can get two to three yards, I think that's a successful play. You can get that much yardage on, on and stay kind of on schedule as long as they don't get behind the chains. Because if they get Peyton Thorne in passing situations and, and where he's got to throw the ball and they can bring the heat, he's going <laughs> to he's gonna spend a lot of time on the ground, I think. So the other aspect of this game, and this, is, this has nothing to do with on the field, man, Michigan had to sit all year last, I, even more so than the 2020 season, all year knowing that their only regular season loss came to Michigan State and they blew a 16-point lead. And now they have a bye week to think about it even more. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is going to be drilling that message home. He's been drilling home, I guarantee you, uh, ever since a couple weeks ago, since, since they went into the bye week after they beat Penn State. It's been all about Michigan State. And that's something I, I just can't get over. I think this is going to be as locked in as maybe we've ever seen, well, probably since last year's Ohio State game. Great points. They're, and they're both coming off an idle week. This is a huge rivalry. They're both going to be locked in. There just seems to be a little bit added oomph for Michigan to be locked in this game. Not that I have a ton of Michigan insiders, but the, the few I've heard from and from what I've read on Twitter, yeah, uh, I think, me thinks that Khaki Pants is tired of hearing about the 0-2 record Yep. versus Mel Tucker. Not that he's never beat Michigan State. It's just, you know, it's the it's the newest thing out there versus Mel Tucker. Again, don't get me wrong. Both teams want to win this game. I just think Michigan's got a little bit more juice. With that being said, it's a rivalry game. It's just yeah. hard for me to predict these gigantic spreads being covered in rivalry games. Cause I think that stuff matters. I, maybe that, maybe that's the, you know, romantic college football guy in me coming out, but I think you'll get that on Saturday night. So I've got Michigan 31 Michigan state 17. So that is a Sparty cover. And at 48 points, I've got it a little below the game total. All right. So I see a few more points in this game. I've got Michigan 38, Michigan State 21. So that's still a Michigan State cover. And at 59, that's an over. Can see it. I can see that. There, there's there's that that type of game is definitely available. All right. That gets us to the big 10 game of the week. The poll results with 55% of the 656 votes. The number two, seven and zero ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. Coming into Happy Valley to take on the 6-1, 13th-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. This is a big noon game. <clears throat> Ryan, Buckeyes by 15.5 over under 61. So Vegas is saying something like a 38-23 Buckeyes win. Lots of close games in this series. Yeah. Tons of close games. But Ohio State has won nine out of the last ten games in this series. And I did some. I did a little bit of research, not a lot. Uh, the last five games, which have all been won by Ohio State, the average score, which to me this sounds very Ohio State, Penn State, the average score is Ohio State 33, Penn State 26. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's so exactly, exactly a yeah. touchdown. 
So James Franklin, I, I think going back to the trends and not liking Mel Tucker, I think there's enough to show that James Franklin gets his team ready to play for this game against Ohio State. And I know, I think the last three meetings, it's been determined by two, technically two possessions, like 10 to 11 points pretty much every year. Um, I think Penn State coming off of that big loss to Michigan, going home in front of a whiteout, getting a huge win against Minnesota. By the way, remember who they beat a few years ago on their way to a Big Ten championship game was Minnesota when they were dead in the water and people were writing James Franklin's obituary in 2016. Then I think it was either one week or two weeks later, they play Ohio State, get the win and cruise. I don't know if that's going to happen this week. I just saw a more focused Penn State team, um, especially on the defensive side, still got some questions there on the on the offense. Sean Clifford made some bad decisions in that game that Parker Washington covered up for. So um, I, I think that Penn State's going to come out ready to play, getting this game at home in a noon slot. Um, I – this is going to be. This might be one of the best challenges that Ohio State's passing attack faces because of Penn State's defensive backs and how they attack the passing game. This is going to be a very physical football game on the edges. That's to me the matchup I'm going to be watching for most because I think elite wide receiver play, really good defensive back play. I think Ohio State's going to have a struggle on their hands in this one. Interesting. Okay. Um... Manny Diaz versus Ryan Day in this, or another way to boil it down is Manny Diaz, um, uh, uh, Manny Diaz blitzing. Okay, so Manny Diaz loves to blitz, but you know who loves to get blitzed is CJ Stroud. So like, right? I don't know, man. There, there is, I feel like a lot of big game explosion that we have available here when when those you know when Ohio State's offense is on the field or. Is it what you're talking about here where, you know, Iowa plays a physical style of defense. Notre Dame plays a physical style of defense. Can uh, Penn State match that? Can they have the physical style of defense and challenge this Ohio State offense? That seems to be the only thing that it's there. Now, you say that, and I think it's possible, but this is the same Penn State defense that should have been up for Michigan and just got rolled over. So like, I don't know, man, like it, right when I go down one path on what I think I'm seeing, then I think of that game and it, and it kind of, you know, gets me a little skittish for Penn state fans. I think that this is, I think this goes back to it being different. I think Michigan exposed, I don't think Penn state's defensive front is that great. So I think that, um, I don't, I don't know. I think that the, that Michigan's dedication to the run game strained Penn State's offense. I also, I don't know. Michigan and Ohio State's defenses are both really good. But the one difference I would say about Penn State's defense in this game is that Penn State's offense has the capability of moving the football and Notre Dame and Iowa did not. So they will take the field a lot fresher. And I do think that playing at home is, I don't know. I think that's worth a touchdown to 10 points. I don't think, I don't think Penn State gets run out of the stadium against Michigan if that game's played at Beaver Stadium, they probably still lose. So that's why I just don't see – I think this – I think because the offense is going to be able to move the ball against this Ohio State offense more so than Iowa, more so than Notre Dame, that's why I think they can be physical for a full 60 minutes, whereas you saw 
Iowa just kind of get worn down last week because they had to be on the field so damn much. They got the ball in bad positions, constant turnovers, that sort of thing. Don't get me wrong. I think Sean, Sean Clifford, we've seen at times, he can do that. He could very easily throw three picks, and this game could be over in 20 minutes. I and just if it's a, think that – Yeah, and if it's an absolute blowout, that's what it is, where we, right. we walk away from the game and we just say – the overall talent and uh, quarterback play was just too much in Ohio State's favor, and that's why Ohio State just ran wild. I think exactly zero people or very few people, I should say, would be would be taken by surprise if, if Ohio State runs wild with this. With that being said, uh, I read somewhere today that at 50th in the country in total offense, I think is what Penn State is. It's the best offense the Ohio State defense has faced all year. Okay, oh, wow. so so um, – Ohio State's gone against some pretty decent defenses, but they haven't gone against you know very many offenses. So I, I think this will be the first test for that Ohio State Jim Knowles defense to see if it's as good as statistically it, it has showed out to be so far this year. Uh, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I've got uh, Ohio State 35 Penn State 24. So that's a Penn State cover. And at 59, that is just slightly under the 61. Okay. All right. Um, hey, you, you know what's scary? If, you, if you're into scary movies, I watched the latest Halloween movies. Those were not very good, but you yeah, know, you, you had to see the you had to see the you know the franchise through. If I'm a Penn State fan, this this is scary. This is the scary thing yeah. to see. I I I do think this is a better matchup for Penn State than Michigan was. I I, yes. I do. Uh, maybe matchups and styles or the fight thing is the theme for this week. I don't know. With that being said, I don't think Penn State's defense can necessarily do what Iowa's and Notre Dame's did at times. I think they're going to be more susceptible for big plays. And then suddenly you look up and there's quite a bit of a gap between these two teams. I don't think Ohio State blows them out or pulls away. I just think there's enough to cover the spread, which I kind of thought would be a little bit higher before it came out. So I've got Ohio State 38, Penn State 21. So that's just barely an Ohio State cover. And at 59 points, I've got just barely going over that, <laughs> just under that 61-point yeah. game total. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I, I, I just – this is going to be – this to me is, is, a, is a great – just because we've seen it, I wish I could. I wish I would have done the research because the schedule for Penn State now to that 2016 season has to be incredibly similar because they got blown out by Michigan, beat Minnesota, and then they beat Penn or beat Penn Ohio State. State. I'd have to. Penn I State. wish I would have thought about that enough to do the research. But I, this is going to be. I, I still think this is going to be whether it's um, your score, my score. I think it's going to be a really fun game, at least for three quarters. I, I think it will be too. I'm just wondering if both the Penn State Ohio State game and the Michigan-Michigan State game, I wonder if the best way to keep yourself glued into the game, the entire game, is to have money on the spread. <laughs> like, because I'm just a little bit True. nervous that it's going to be in the you know last eight, nine, ten minutes of the fourth quarter, and we kind of already know who the winners of those games are. But hey, it's college football, right? That's how we. That's why we turn in and try to watch as much as we can because we don't know that until the games are kicked off on Saturday. All right, man. You got anything else? That's it for me. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm not Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.